Shine Sound Podcast with your host, Christine Mathias. I love the process of recording in the studio. I love taking something from nothing and turning it into a final mix because I think there's so much art that you can add into mixing that a lot of musicians don't get to experience. And it's that mixing, you know, when you're laboring over something that it's recorded a certain way and everything sounds clean, but you're like, I just want to add something. It's not gritty enough. Hello, and welcome to episode number three of the Sunshine Sound podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, So for today's episode, I interviewed uh, Tommy Bobcat, who happens to be my husband. So when I first came up with the idea for this podcast, I didn't plan on interviewing Tom, but as I started brainstorming uh, the people I wanted to talk to, it was like, well, Tom's a musician and we have a lot of these interesting discussions together about what it means uh, to be a musician and the challenges we run into, so why not? Uh, So today we talked about a lot of interesting topics like experimental music, production values, mixing as a creative process, and also stage fright and performing. So I hope you enjoy this one. Okay, so uh, today in the studio, I have Tommy Bobcat. So he's a a local musician here in San Diego. He's played in a ton of bands. I've known this guy for a while. (laughs) So he's played as both a bass player and now he's really shift gears to being a uh, full-time guitar player. Quite the shift in gears, too. So he's it came out of the closet as a guitar player. <laughs> he's currently in Denim Robot with me as the guitar player. Uh, but he also releases his own solo experimental music, which I'm looking forward to hearing about today. <laughs> so in addition to that, he's uh, he is one of the co-founders of Sunshine Sound Center. He's a great audio engineer, and he also happens to be my husband. So... <laughs> I know a little bit about this guy. Uh, yeah, so thanks for uh, thanks for making the journey here from the next room over. Sure, I appreciate sure. it. Uh, my legs are a little tired, but uh, <clears throat> it's plenty of coffee here, so we'll be good to go. Yeah, next. we're great. We're all uh, caffeinated and good to go. Uh, so, so Tommy. You know, we work together on on Denim Robot, but I really would like to hear more about your solo stuff, uh, which you release as Tommy Bobcat. So tell tell us about that. Like, what what is Tommy Bobcat, the musician? Well, I would say that uh, it's, for the most part, just music that nobody else wants to play with uh, with me on. Um, you know, I've been in bands before, and we tried to push the experimental. Uh, uh, stuff and either they didn't want to hear it when we played it out live or we just got sick of it playing it with e- each other and I think that it's maybe it's just I'm a control freak or whatever but uh, I'd love to find people that like to play that kind of stuff but uh, they're few and far between or maybe they're just at home uh, making that wacky music but I just started doing it on my own because it was stuff that wouldn't fit in other projects uh, or you know I was writing too many songs and they wouldn't go in with with these other bands that I was in but um a lot of it's mostly uh, stuff that seems to only really work in the studio. I do a lot of, um, I don't know how to say, like I take artistic liberties with the sound, uh, with the mixing and the audio production on it. So I purposely try to, you know, degrade recordings and, and stuff like that to get the sound that I want, which I'm not sure if it would work live, but I'm trying to convey kind of a, um, a certain feeling in the mix itself. Um, so that's 
kind of another reason why. And also, I, you know, I, I guess I just, yeah, again, I guess I think it goes back to the control thing. It's just uh, sure. So do you do you play all of the instruments that I, are? Yeah. I do play all the instruments now. Playing is is a bit of a uh, might be a stretch. Uh, I program the drums. Sometimes I just find drum loops. There was a a, a while that uh, I was looking for you know odd time drum loops like seven eight and uh, and things like that to play on. Um, I've gotten a little lazy with the progressive stuff. Because it's just like, oh, I really want to spend all this time trying to record a guitar part in seven and like <laughs> eleven, and it's like for no reason. It's like who's no one's even gonna listen to this? Like what? I mean, what am I doing? Uh, so yeah. yeah, I mean, I think for a while it was like it was practice. My first solo album was I want to learn how to play over odd time signatures, and it was like. Um, this is the way to do it. Record what you're doing, turn them all into songs, and there you go. You learned how to play hard stuff, and uh, now you got a record. Sure. So, uh, so yeah. So, in terms of instrumentation, so you're playing guitar. Like, what other live instruments are you actually recording? <clears throat> I do the guitar, bass, vocals, and I do keyboards. I will say that there have definitely been times that I um, quantize. I, I mean, because I'm doing everything. Um, Sure. So you record the at least the keyboards all through MIDI, right? Yes, absolutely. But what about the but the guitar and the bass? That's just live. You can't quantize that, right? Yeah, no. Um, and I use, you know, ever since the beginning here, uh, when I was I started doing my solo stuff in what would that be, 2010, um, I used guitar rig and other um, software plugs. So I don't record any actual amps now. You know, without getting to my own preferences too much, uh, that's nice because I can click through different amps and 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 change it uh, till the cows come home. Now the sound quality or the tone, if you're going for a specific tone, maybe you can't dial it in as much as you'd like. Uh, but the versatility is just amazing. So I use that for guitar and bass. Um, I never actually record them in the room. It's it's all right. done with software plugs. Right. Yeah. It's almost like the the choices for that are overwhelming. So when you go into a project, do you have uh, like an, an idea of the sound that you're going for and maybe know what kind of amps to pick or or is it more of a kind of intuitive process that you're just, you know, making it up as you go along? I'm very much a, a preset person. Um, I like to just click through presets until I find something that's that's close um, no, I have no idea when I'm going in. I'll start out with uh, just a drum beat. Um, I mean, sometimes I'll go and I'll be like, I want to do a song in seven or 11 or 13. I mean, 13, God, that song's like <laughs> one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three, four, one, two, one, two, three, because Zappa did, you know, that song 13. Uh, so I was like, I got to do a song in 13. But so that's the only time that I think I'll go in is if I have like a time signature that I want. But otherwise, I'll just drop in a loop, come up with a riff. And then as far as the software plugins go, I mean, sometimes I'll just click through and I'll be like, whoa, that sounded, you know, click through the presets. And I'm like, particularly in guitar rig, I'm like, wow, yeah, that's the exact, you know, I want like the, the country crunch there. And I was like, I didn't even think I'd want that. But that's what's so great about it is that if later I'm like, you know, I'm going through like a twang thing here. No, let's turn the song into a heavy metal song. Boom. I go on to like the, you know, the, um, like the Marshall or, or whatever else. And it's just like, you know, you get the heavy guitars there, the riffing. Sure. But, but I imagine there might, there must be some presets that you like get comfortable with and you keep coming back to, uh, 
Yeah, does that happen? Well, I think like with Denim Robot, I can get what's really nice about it is that because we are going to play it live, I can't really, I, I can't go too far into stuff that can't be performed live. So um, I generally stick to the jazz chorus because I have a, a Roland JC120 that I play out with live. I, I'm pretty, I stay usually on that that amp model for the most part with Denim yeah. Robot. Yeah. But for stuff that I record on my solo, I mean, I'm, I got no plans to take that stuff out unless somebody wants to join me, and I don't, I don't see that happening. Yeah, so you think that's just going to stay like a, basically just like a recording project? Sure, yeah, because I like to release. I love the process of recording in the studio. I love taking something from nothing and turning it into a final mix because I think there's so much art that you can add into mixing that a lot of musicians don't get to experience, and it's that mixing uh, you know, when you're laboring over something that it's recorded a certain way and everything sounds clean, but you're like, I just want to add something. It's not gritty enough. I think I spend so much of my time trying to degrade high quality recordings, right. which is something that wasn't done a long time ago. Everybody wanted yeah. the most polished, cleanest drum sound or cleanest guitar. And it's like, no, I want to bring some of that dirt back. Yeah. And that's, a, and that's interesting. That's a thing that, that we talk about a lot, how uh, with how accessible all this recording stuff is becoming and how it's easier to create a more professional produced sound that it's, it seems likely that we're going to get to a point where there's going to be some pushback against that. And we're going to go back to more, more of that lo-fi sound. And I'm hearing that in your music. Yeah. And I think that, and also um, trying to do it with music videos and stuff like that. I mean, I'm not like a and, you know, not to take away from people that just love vinyl and, and analog and all that stuff. I mean, um, it's not so much that I, I'm obsessive in that way that I, I want to do things on old equipment. But I feel like that there is some artistry that's involved in um, conveying a message through the mix. And that can get lost when the drum sounds so clean. You know, it's like some of these drum plugins I use... Um, uh, what is the? It's the contact player. Um, we use it all the time. What is studio it? Studio drummer. Studio drummer. Yeah, and they 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 boast on it that it's like you know everything was recorded so cleanly. You know you can get the you get the mic, all these different mics. You can choose all these different reverbs and everything and EQs. And I'm like, yeah, but what if I want that to sound like it was recorded in some shitty bar? Like <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's like I I did one song on the last album that I wanted to make it sound like it was recorded live in the 70s. And I had to really just go to town on, on killing the quality of the drums. I was squashing. I was like, I want it to sound like these mics are out of phase and this EQ is all, all messed up because that's what the song really called for. It right. called for yeah. you know, someone slobbering all over the mics and hearing that and <laughs> hearing somebody in the audience screaming at them. I, I just, it's it's... I love, that's what I love about bootlegs is that it just, you know, this is obviously artificially created, but it was created um, with that intent to kind of create that atmosphere of a bootleg. And, um, right. No, it's it's interesting. It's, it's, it seems like it's at this point almost harder (laughs) to create a a more raw lo fi sound than it is to create a a more produced sound. Like, what a strange time. (laughs) Well, and then you kind of got to ask yourself, like, why am I doing this? I mean, I I do it because I enjoy it and think that it expresses something. I don't know if people like to hear it. You know, I remember when I first heard Ween, um, that pod album, just so lo-fi tape, 
uh, you know, recordings, and uh, it's basically unlistenable um, to a lot of people. But you learn to like love that, um, and and yeah, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just it, it's yeah. funny because we don't have that. I, I think if you would ask them then, like you know, if we would have recorded on better gear, yeah, let's all let's jump on that. It was because of the limitations that they had financially right. and gear wise. Now. We don't have those limitations, so people would be like, "Well, why the hell would you want to go back to that? Are you, be, are you like some hip? Maybe I'm a hipster, but I don't see it again as as like being obsessed with vinyl or thinking that it's it's better. I think that right. sometimes my music, if it if it like when it starts out as polished as it is, it's like, yeah, like I'm not a good enough musician for this. It needs to be a little rougher here. Sure, it's almost like the the overall production gives. Uh, gives a certain quality to the music itself and it's almost like when you don't have that, those variations in the quality it's all the music out there in that sense sounds the same so it's it's i think it, it just adds a little more interest and kind of texture to your music right yeah yeah you would agree with that <laughs> well, I, don't, I don't know you know sometimes i'm just like i listen to it i'm just like what the hell so I, I that's I think a good way to uh, to look at it. And I would hope people saw it positively and not um, uh, just assume that I I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but ultimately, who cares? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so let's take a break here and let's listen to one of your tracks. Um, so chloroform. You want to play that one first? Sure. Yeah. So, can, yeah. Tell I, us about that. Okay. So this was the one that I on my last album, um, Drivel. This was the only real lo-fi one. Most of those songs had some doo-wop songs. I had some, uh, or one doo-wop song. I had a lot of uh, um, more progressive time signature stuff. Uh, but this song, I really tried to to go lo-fi and get it to sound like that old, like Ween or Bongwater or those early '90s lo-fi bands. And it was difficult. I um, actually wrote a blog about it on the on the uh, Sunshine Sound oh, yeah. thing about. What I specifically used, I was using um, the tape delay plugin, and you got to play around with that with like pushing the wet all the way through and kicking the dry down and um, obviously turn the actual delay off, but just adding just the, you know, trying to subtly introduce some of these artifacts in there to make it, excuse me, rough around the edges. Um, and I think it really, it really did well on, on this album, it came, on this song. It came out good, but again, you know, playing this live it's like it just wouldn't yeah i don't even it, know how you would get that same feeling across and live. i think playing it straight uh right. it just it would be lost in that song so. yeah yeah so just to recap on this song uh the drums are from not it's not a live drummer right no i believe that's a good question i think that these drums because you have had live drummers on some yes. of your albums my first two albums i had um <laughs> the, the first album uh uh, for Karen, um, which was all instrumental songs, I had uh, a good friend uh, Rico <laughs> Rico Callahan play on those, um, was and it was mind, always difficult right? because yeah. what I would do, and then I had my my buddy Kale uh, play on the second album, and they both did just a fantastic job, and it was difficult because you know we keep all of these songs were recorded to a metronome, so I would go with them um, I, to a a uh, pre recorded drum loop right and i would go to them and i would say you know i take the drum loop off and i'd say could you play to this metronome and the rest of the music here and that is i'm starting to realize how much of a challenge that is to most drummers who are used to kind of being in control 
of 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 the, and a lot of them can play to um play to metronomes fine it's just that the music itself which maybe have a swing to it or whatever but they have to they essentially aren't aren't driving the uh the car as it were <laughs> and that was really a challenge and there were some some points of frustration i think um all around and it, it was i think mostly on my end uh, and i i wasn't frustrated they were frustrated with me and i think they should have been um <laughs> Because we probably should have started with them and do it that way, but ultimately it turned out great. Um, but to answer your question, this one was done with Studio Drummer, I believe. And then what I did, so I to get it to sound like it was like a winding down cassette tape, I um, so I had the drums that say, you know, 160 beats per minute, and ultimately my goal would be like 110 or something like that. I actually used the time and pitch plugin to slow it down um and then i had to play i think i did this with the guitar as well i had to play it really fast to it to like 160 180 and then i slowed it down through this plug-in so it sounded like it was winding down oh that's really Um, cool well it had all these problems with pops and things like that that i didn't expect and you know some pops are okay and some weren't and it was just the uh, going back and forth between like you know it's is it does it sound too bad uh or is it just what i want it here's the line yeah yeah, because like i don't want it to sound totally unlistenable and awful but i want it to sound a little bad (laughs) like Mm -hmm. so there you go all right all right so let's take a break here and we'll listen to that track chloroform by tommy bobcat Stepped in all fear, stepped in all fear. 
song that was yeah. i actually have a video to go with that song um oh that's if you're right interested uh yeah so what was this so that was the one they used like some stock footage for <laughs> oh geez that one was i had like a five minute intro of of me trying to do the back to the future thing where you know he had marty and two scene basically talking to himself so i did that at the beginning and then yeah i had some some stock footage of some wars and, and like a Vietnam footage that was in the public domain on archive. And then uh, I think it was some like medication, like constipation, uh, <laughs> uh, menstrual cramps or something um, overlaying on top of that. Nice. Like some like, yeah, prescription drug commercials. Yeah. yeah. Prescription drug commercials are kind of a trip. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it fit really well. Yeah. It was a nice contrast with the war and, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting how, like, with music videos kind of lend themselves to having, a, like, ex- experimental kind of vibe to them. Like, does it matter the genre of music? You can get kind of crazy uh, in the videos. Uh, so it matches well with your <laughs> your music as well. Well, and that leads to another thing that like to discuss is you know we were both watching that remember that go west video last night <laughs> yeah. um from the it was that late 80s it's on the pretty woman soundtrack and it's like you just have all this random stuff happening in the video i feel i feel kind of bad for that lead singer because he's like you know they're telling them to just like dance around awkwardly and and sing into a uh, like a monkey wrench and like all this like <laughs> All this like wacky stuff, and it's like you know it's you a got gorilla in yeah there. you got you got a gorilla that pops up for no reason. You got a guy playing hockey. You got, you got the Pope. Yeah, some like kind of like uh, what do you call it? Um, like just skimpy skimpy bands. clothing. Yeah, women and scantily clad. <laughs> but so that kind of leads to the question of like, is there you know is that experimental or is that just randomness trying to parade as experimental? And I don't really have an answer to that. Like. I have my own opinions on it, but again, that's just my opinion. It's like somebody could look at stuff I do or look at, um, you know, any experimental uh, filmmaker, you know, doing videos, music videos, or just regular videos and be like, I could do that, you know, like it was just random stuff. And it's like, well, 
it kind of comes back to that question, like, do you have to know the rules and know what you're doing to break them? Um, or can you just do whatever? And, and that's the art itself. And is there something beyond the randomness that it's kind of like people can kind of sort of collectively agree, like, ah, he's doing something, you know, something more to this than uh, just throwing things together. But I don't know. Sometimes I think I just throw <laughs> things together. So it's just... Yeah, sometimes it's hard to conceptualize these things. But that so that brings up the question though, like what what is experimental music? Is there a definition? And I, I think this is so hard to answer because um, you know, we were at the a couple nights ago at the open oscillator and thinking, you know, what this thing is so fantastic and it's great. Like if we did something like this for experimental music, if we had like an experimental open mic. And it's like, well what you know, by <laughs> definition it's not supposed to have any parameters to it, so wouldn't that yeah. just be an open mic? It's like, could someone just get up there and just stand there for five minutes? And that's, you know, I, I mean, I, that's performance art. I, you know, I'm fine with that. But uh, how is an experimental open mic different than just open mic? And yeah. that's where it got difficult because I may have in my head, you know, I, I know what experimental music is when I hear it because it's just weird. But, um, you know, the tastes can vary. Right. Um, yeah. It's almost just like... It's experimental if you can't easily put it in another genre. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. That's, but that's, but then you think about it and it's like, it's almost like every genre of music started out that way. You know, so what's something that might be experimental today? Might we might have just to have a new name for it at some point? Maybe you're just ahead of your time, Tommy. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> no, it's uh, Zappa was ahead of his. Well, I don't know. Who knows? Yeah, but that, it is funny because you know it's like Zappa used to get so upset with hearing stuff like that. Like he, that, there's that famous interview you can find it on YouTube where he's just talking about like asking him to name these giving him a list of these bands and he's like tell me if they're progressive rock or not and he's just like you know and asking if himself is progressive rock and it's like nobody can <laughs> figure out what that even means yeah. or you know the answer is sometimes i mean yeah. it's really for everybody it's like are you rock well sometimes you know it's mm -hmm. like and i i love that answer it's just yeah. sometimes yeah so who are you? So you obviously like Zappa. You can hear it in your music <laughs> just a little bit. Uh, <laughs> um, and I think it's it's just funny as anytime anyone makes any kind of experimental music, they like by default get compared to Zappa. But he's not the only one out there. Well, yeah. and the Zappa one's really tough because I have had a lot of people tell me they're like, well, you're... It sounds like Zappa, and it's really difficult because Zappa is such a more phenomenal musician than me that it's not, <laughs> it's unfair to the point where it's like, just don't make that comparison, you know. Um, uh, so that one's tough, um, but I do love Zappa, so I, I hope some of it would come through. But um, yeah, like, I love, uh, I, Mr. Bungle was one that was huge to me because the whole John Zorn side of things where you have Zappa, which is you know, really complicated music at times. You know, sometimes it's silly, but mostly it's really complicated. And then there's the doo-wop and it's just like really high quality stuff that was also silly, which made it great. But um, like the John Zorn side, where you sort of paved the way to Mr. Bungle and all them, is there's it, there's an abrasiveness to it that um, I really took to. Um, and I think with bands like Bongwater and, and Early Ween, it's kind of that like with the mix as well. It's like, it's, and that's kind of what I view more as experimental and it, it, different from progressive, which, mm -hmm. you know, not the fancy time signatures and difficulty, but just 
um, rawness, but not raw in a way of like heavy metal, like screaming at you, but raw right. in a sort of almost unlistenable abrasiveness. Mm. Um, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And do you think that, I think the fact that you are an audio engineer kind of helps to create your music. And I think probably if if you were just, you know, like a someone who just played acoustic guitar and wrote and wrote songs that way and didn't know about all this stuff or didn't maybe were, you know, alive at a time where logic wasn't so accessible to make these drum loops and things. It's just I think your music would look a lot different. So it's like that's uh that's interesting that that's kind of uh the fact that you are an audio engineer has a big influence on your music. It's a yeah, it's a good point. I'm not even sure I'd be a musician. Uh, if it wasn't for the ability to record it like this. Um, I do love playing in bands and stuff like that, but the studio and doing um, doing the tracks, I think I'll do that forever. I, Not to say that I could take or leave playing in a band because it's just, it, I have to, it's like Woody Allen and the eggs, you know? I, I, I need the eggs. Um, uh, so... Uh, but that, you know, it's just the relationships of band members and all that. Like, sure. that's the one thing about making your music on your own is it's just you and the and the machine. But I think you're you're right because um, I don't think that I would just do it on a, like a Casio or like a, a Fisher-Price, uh, you, know, you know, thing. Yeah. I, I There's not enough control there where I can do stuff. Sure. Um, so. <laughs> yeah. Because I always see, like, being a musician, like, there's different aspects to it, right? So you kind of have... And I feel like each musician enjoys different parts of being a musician better. So the like the aspects that I see are kind of like practicing, you know, like learning technique and perhaps learning other people's music. So that's one quadrant. And then you have writing music, which is kind of its own thing. Then you have recording and that whole process. And then you have performing. So that's how I see it. Personally, I, I think my favorite part is writing music and creating. But for, for you, what, what do you think your favorite? Well, it's interesting because I, I think that I fuse writing and recording together. I've never written a song. Well, I shouldn't say that. I think early on I had an acoustic guitar and did, did some songs and, and wrote them beforehand. But boy, I can't remember the last time that I um, came up with something that wasn't being recorded at the time with the intention of creating a song through the recording. So those are not separate processes for me. Huh, interesting. Because um, I, yeah. I can't write a song. I, I think that's where the difficulty is. I see, Everyone else I've, I've met um, or played music with, they would just, you know, write the, they'd be playing guitar, whatever, and come up with it. They're like, yeah, I came up with this on a keyboard. I came up with it on a guitar. And now you add your part. I ran into a lot of difficulty with bands because, uh, to me, a song isn't created until it's its final product, which to me is the the studio, you know, a studio track. So, you know, my last uh, band, Guides for the Future, I would have this thing where I would, I, I would have to come up with all of the parts of the song, including the drum and the guitar and the bass and and vocals and everything, and record those. And then the band members would be like, "Hey, I wanted to add, you know, you're just writing all my stuff." And I'm like, "You know, I don't mean to do that. You can do whatever you want with it, but." To me, I, the song isn't written. It doesn't mm. feel written until yeah. all of that stuff is done. Yeah. And I don't know if other people have that problem. but Yeah, that's it's different from how I write music and other bands that I've been in. So that's interesting. Yeah. So let's listen to So we, uh, there's one other track I wanted to play. Remind me what it's called. I'm going to uh, pronounce I, it wrong. I can't the pronunciation. <laughs> it's Bo actually Bozentang, which is a uh, dog meat soup in Korea. 
Okay, um, so for, first answer this question. How where do you come up with these song names? Well, I kinda it's similar to, to I think the way that Ween does it is I get the name of the song first, usually, <laughs> and then I write the you know, with instrumental music it's always funny because you're like, how do they this song isn't entirely instrumental, but it's for the most part. Um and, uh, people are like, yeah, how do you <laughs> come up with these song names for instrumentals? I think it's like kind of whatever pops in your head that seems to work with the song. I mean, that's the best answer I could give you. Sometimes okay. it's funny. Sometimes it's just, wow, I never heard that word before. Right. Uh, let's go with that. And so. I think that uh, that humor is an important element to your music. <laughs> but you it's not, <laughs> most of the time, it's not intentional. <laughs> Um, I appreciate you saying it's funny because I like to, I need to laugh, but sometimes I wonder whether I'm the only one laughing. Um, <laughs> but it is all supposed to, I mean, at the end of the day, I would prefer people to laugh at my music, all of it. Uh, if that's what people walked away feeling, uh, that would be fantastic that they were just laughing uncontrollably. I think there's a lot of, um, a lot of people that view, humor and music uh as somehow like um a lower a lower form of art uh you look at say weird al or even zappa i think a lot of the reason yeah. that he was wasn't taken serious i mean seriously i think that's the problem you say taken seriously but that you respected. can't make exactly respected because it was like you know these puerile lyrics these um and i i guess i just disagree with that it it adds a light lightness to it um, that you somewhat feel like you're laughing along with the the band, and I think if you can you can also have the sad side with it as well, and that's something that Ween did phenomenally. They would have just a tear jerking yeah, yeah. song, uh, and then uh, and just something totally silly, like I'm in the mood to move or something right. like that. Um, and I think, but I think you see that in in all elements of art, in movies as well. Like uh, comedies are placed much lower than than dramatic films, and I don't know why we're like, if you're laughing, it's not as respectable. It's the same thing with television shows or actors even, like comedic actors aren't, uh, I think it's sometimes a lot harder to, to be a comedic actor than a dramatic actor. So it's just, I don't, I don't know why as a society, we don't, we don't seem to put as much value on things that make us laugh. I think some to some people laughter is it can, unfortunately can be a way to uh, to not express real deep emotions hmm. that it's kind of a surface thing, but I would argue that that's you know that's one form of laughter, but there's another form of laughter that is deeper than that that yeah. kind of cuts through that sort of makes you see how silly everything is. Right, in the world. and it's it's and, a um, universal emotion. Yeah, you, know? that you can experience yeah. with other people. Mm-hmm. You know, sadness sometimes can be isolating, but laughter is something that, you know, you really, you can all do it together. And there's nothing better than being on stage laughing uncontrollably with other people in your yeah. band going like, you're looking down at your set list going, I, I get to play these silly, stupid songs in front of people. Like, this is so much fun to like have a good time and laugh. Yeah. Like, you know, laugh anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Does anybody remember laughter? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's play that that track. Bozentang, that's Mm -hmm. what it was? Okay, all right, we'll uh, we'll be back in just a moment. (laughs) 
right. Yeah, that was a good one. Then <laughs> <laughs> we listen to it. <laughs> oh, yes. We play the silly game where we pretend we listen to the track, but we didn't really. I'm sharing some podcast <laughs> secrets here. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so, yeah. So, do you miss playing in, in live bands? Do you think that's something you'll, I mean, Denim Robot plays out, but I mean, we're not, we're just a, we're just a duo. Like we're not like your typical, you know, bass, drums, guitar, rock bands. Yeah. Well, I gotta be honest with you. I have just crippling stage fright. I mean, it's, it's even after years and years of doing it, uh, I can't get up in front of people without like freaking out. Um, and it's, it's, it's always good <laughs> to do it. I mean, it's it's never, I, I never should turn it down. Um, sometimes I do, but uh, I love playing music in front of people, but it is so, I remember the first time, you know, when I started playing back in law school, uh, we were, I mean, I would be nervous for weeks and months. And now I still, you know, I still get nervous a week out or whatever. And when you play regularly, it goes down to some extent, but it is, um, it's really tough. And I think that um, I would love to be in a band. There's some drama that goes back and forth, but it's like any relationship. I mean, you find the right people and you're willing to, to go through that. So I'd absolutely love to do it. But um, live performance is so hard yeah, to yeah. do. Um, it's just frightening to no sure. end. Um, and you always, you know, I, I, it's worth it. It's always worth it. But geez, like. Yeah. 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 No, it's it, it's true, though. And I think it's you even hear people who who are, you know, famous and been doing this for years and years and still experience that. And it's like, what what is that? Why do we get scared just because people are looking at us? I, I don't know why, but <laughs> because you get up there and you, you, you look down at your guitar and you're like, I don't. How do do I know how to play this thing? I mean, honestly, like, I I hope I remember because the more you think about it, the less you remember, and you're like, well, I don't know how to play guitar. I don't. Yeah. What am I doing? I. Yeah, like you have that. Like I, it happens to me that like in the middle of performance, in the middle of a song, um, um, my brain's like, shit, I don't know the next part, <laughs> but somehow I play it. But like, and it's also weird how we've talked about this how time moves when you're on stage. Like it's, there's certain moments where it just seems like time freezes and then it goes really fast and then slows way down. It's just such a trip. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. That's the, and you know, you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know whether, how the crowd's going to go. You don't know what your performance is going to be. And again, ultimately it's that jumping over the edge that makes it so great and why it's so intoxicating to do it. But man, uh, you know, um, kind of confronting that fear every time is, uh, you know, I, I think every time we, we hear we have a gig, it's like, I immediately want to run and hide under the couch. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, oh God, like I, I want to play guitar in front of people. I just don't want to be scared to death to do it, but it's like, they have to, <laughs> it has to happen. Yeah. There, are, there is no other way. But it's like, if you didn't, feel that I think you'd also miss out on all the excitement and the positive emotions and I I think your performance would suffer as well like I think that's when you can lean into that feeling and harness that energy that's what draws audiences to you you know yeah and I think that that's um 
I think that's the thing is I, I, I assume that you have to be somewhat self-reflective and scared in order to, to tap into that emotion. I don't know. I mean, there may be people that can walk on stage that are phenomenally good that never have that. Um, but God, I don't know how. I, I, <laughs> how yeah. you could not. You know, people say, I don't have stage fright. It's like, right, what, how, how is that possible? <laughs> Do you know what you're doing? Right. <laughs> Yeah, but you're talking about like you you're experiencing that in law school, but you're playing in bands in high school, right? Did you have did, did you have like oh, the same stage fright in high school? Horribly terrible. I remember the first um, real live performance I played out in high school. I was lead guitar player, and I think everybody does this to some extent. But I basically had my amp on one, and I didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was the thing with being a lead player is that like I mean you know I just so it, there was, was also a rhythm guitar player as well yeah on the chords. he was a great yeah. friend and he was he was turned up loud his parents <laughs> bought him a Marshall half stack as, as a fourteen wow. year old and it's like <laughs> so no one could hear anything but him but so what, what were you playing do you remember uh I think I was playing this uh, vibro champ that oh, I've really? got here nice. yeah my my uh, your trusty vibro the, champ the, the possession like, I've had yeah. the longest in my entire life this uh, nineteen what seventy two or seventy six uh, Fender uh, Silverface vibro champ that I still play it needs a tube yeah. replaced but oh, yeah. um, but it's sweet it's like my most prized possession that thing is great yeah so. so so yeah so even from the beginning you were you had that stage fright absolutely and that's what yeah. kept me from continuing to pursue music until. Mm. I, when we got to law school, um, I don't know if we have time for the sure. So, so on that, because uh, Christina and I met in law school, but the year before that, um, it was actually a kind of a phenomenal experience uh, that got me turned on to music. Really, uh, was that we uh, I met some people from law school, and of course, everybody in that class was scared to death. It was we were first year students, and we were um, didn't know what we were doing, and uh, scared, freaking out every day, getting called on, and everything, and. Um, we needed some kind of outlet, and there was a, um, I had a friend of mine, Mark, that uh, talked me into playing a benefit show that somebody had been putting on for pediatric, I, I, no, I think this was for the, I don't know what the, the thing was for, I, I guess that's it was not really, a, it was some kind oh, of okay. show, hurricane it, it retreat. Battle of the bands? No, oh, okay. this was before, it, it was some kind of hurricane, Okay. it was there during that Is time. Is that when you played the, with the Pink Floyd cover? Yes. Yeah. But that was the first time I had played in front of people, and I was sort of dragged. And you're playing bass, right? I was right? playing bass, yeah. And we, um, it went great. And, and from there, we turned that into a law school band, and we were in this microcosm where everybody loved it, and everybody came out, and we played all these parties and everything. And it was like, ah, oh, this is awesome. We're gonna, you know, we're musicians and everything. And boy, you know, once we got out into the real world and got into <laughs> re- bands that didn't have that captive audience, it was like, oh. Oh yeah, like nobody cares. Yeah, <laughs> but that was good. But it was a fun experience at the time, and it got me into music. It really, uh, I'm really glad those guys got me to do it. But man, yeah, the stage fright every time. I was just, I was drinking a lot, and that doesn't help. It doesn't help your performance anyway. No. So. <laughs> but you kept doing it. That's the point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what's what's next for Tommy Bobcat? I don't know. I don't like to. Um, to think about that, because um, I just try to, to, you know, do it every day. It's like if I wake up tomorrow and I don't want to play music, I won't play music. I, uh, it would be a shame, but then I wouldn't have any guilt because I don't want to play music. Um, <laughs> but uh, I'd like to keep doing Denim Robot. We got an album uh, that we're uh, kind of closing in on getting done. I'm about halfway through another solo album. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to play out live more. Um, 
stage fright aside. <laughs> um, but hoping to just keep uh, and I, yeah, possibly get into maybe doing some producing. Uh, I like that side of it. I help some people uh, in some other projects and just kind of that, like, you know, trying to pull the best out of these great musicians, particularly in the studio, like, you know, adding comments like, hey, you know, what if you did this here or this there and, and having it actually work for them. I like that side of it well, as long as I'm helpful and not, uh, you know, yeah. ruining it for them. Sure. <laughs> so, oh, that's great. Anyway. And so if, uh, if people want to check out your solo music, where can they find it? You can go to my website, TommyBobcat.com, um, or I am on Spotify. Uh, again, Tommy Bobcat. I don't know if you need that spelled out, but uh, it's... it's <laughs> I think it's yeah. spelled how it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy so, yeah. with an I. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, Tommy. Thanks for uh, taking the time to chat with me today. Thanks for having me. Sure. So thanks again for listening to the Sunshine Sound podcast. Uh, if you like what you heard, please subscribe. And uh, you can check out older episodes at sunshinesoundcenter.org. Also, feel free to shoot me an email if uh, you have any suggestions for guests or any other feedback or you just want to chat. And I'm at Christine with a C at sunshinesoundcenter.org. So thanks again for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon. Have a beautiful day.